Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So Hunter Biden was indicted on nine tax charges yesterday. Nine. And you're like, wow, this is uh, this is not looking good for Hunter Biden. But no one's talking about that. They're talking about the fact that the man spent $872,000 on hookers. I mean, that's a... It's a fair amount of money for for hookers. I'm, it's not that I'm an expert. I'm just saying that he's a good-looking guy, last name of Biden. I'm not saying that you, you, I'm, I'm not even opposed. I'm just, my God, it's a lot of money for hookers. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. That That's how Newsweek has the story. $872,000 on hookers, porn, and sex club memberships. That That's what he spent his money on. Didn't pay his taxes. Prostitution, online pornography, hiring luxury cars, including $10,000 on a sex club membership. Yeah, Hunter Biden is a very, very messed up guy. A total of $1.4 million in taxes was allegedly evaded. Biden faces up to 17 years behind bars. He's accused of willfully, that's the word, avoiding paying his taxes and faces three felony charges and six misdemeanor charges. The charges in question are between 2016 and 2019. This is when Hunter Biden has said, look, I was uh, drunk and I was on crack. A total of $1.6 million dollars was taken from cash machines. They say cash machines in the Newsweek story. They mean ATM withdrawals. That's a that's a crazy amount of money. And everyday people are like, my gosh, that is nuts. He claimed them as simple business deductions. Deductions claimed as legal, professional, and consulting were used for the payment of his daughter's law school tuition while travel, transportation, and other was instead used for house rentals for his then-girlfriend, as well as rent for one of his daughters. An office in miscellaneous was the purchase of luxury clothing, payments to escorts and dancers, and payments for his daughter's college advising services. I mean, I've got it all right here. The best is various women, $683,212. I don't ever want to hear about Mitt Romney's binders full of women again. I, I don't ever want to hear it. Various women, 683K. Clothing and accessories, 397,000. Educational, 309,000. I'm assuming he thought the porn was a how-to manual. Uh, the health, beauty, and pharmacy, 237,000. Miscellaneous retail, 236. Groceries and restaurant, 214,000. And it goes on from there. The total payments listed in the indictment amount to $4.9 million. And you say to me, Tony, okay, he's just another one of those guys who avoids his taxes and he gets pinched. No, that's not the story. The story here goes back to this statement from Joe Biden 
earlier this week. President Biden on Ukraine and also China. Uh, there's polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans in this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not. And it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many uh, of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what? lies. Now, never mind the fact that Joe Biden looks and sounds like a sad, pathetic old man right there. Asked about connections to his son's business associates, he says he didn't do it. He didn't have connections, and it's all lies. Remember, he famously said that he never spoke to his son about his son's overseas business dealings. Joe Biden's problem is that Joe Biden put himself in a position where he can be shown to be a liar, as opposed to saying, I have no comment, he made comment, and he has repeatedly made comment that nothing about his son is true, his son's perfect, and he never had any connection to his son or any of his son's partners or any of his son's business dealings. So that's where the story has to start, that the now president of the United States wants to claim no connection. The story continues in this uh, introduction and then conversation from Dana Bash. This all comes as oh, hold on a Biden. second. I'm not ready for you yet. There was the introduction and then there was the commentary from Dana Bash over at CNN. They're talking about the indictment. Listen. This all comes as Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, is now facing nine new federal criminal charges. He is accused of failing to pay at least $1.4 million in taxes from 2016 to 2019 and instead spending that money on things like drugs, escorts, pornography and luxury hotels. Again, there is no allegation in the 56-page indictment against President Biden, but it could have major political implications for him. CNN anchor and chief political correspondent Dana Bash joins us now. Dana, good morning. Uh, Good morning. Happy Friday. Where would you like to begin? On which, the former (laughs) president or the current president's son? It's just amazing the collision course here of the courtrooms and the, you know, campaign trail. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were uh, introing the the topics. I was thinking, you know, this is uh, precisely what Republicans are hoping, which is to conflate these two issues. But as you absolutely correctly pointed out, this is about... The son of a president, the the son and the now president, when this happened, weren't even uh, the president Biden wasn't even in office at the time. And also uh, the notion of uh, Hunter Biden and these tax issues, they have been around for a very long time. Now we get to say, Dana Bash, stop it. If you think it's OK to lie to your audience like this, I don't think that's fine. And you should be called to the carpet. What is wrong with you? Let us be perfectly clear that this isn't about the president's son. Not at all. First, should we address the double standard in the room? If Hunter Biden's name was Donald Trump Jr., if his name was Eric Trump, if his name was Ivanka Trump, if his name was Jared Kushner, you know what Democrats would be screaming on CNN right now? Where there's smoke, there's fire. What did Donald Trump know and when did he know it? 
Why is that not the question right now? How dare you say this has nothing to do with President Biden? That's exactly the point. We need to know. Because we have the proof through James Comer and this impeachment inquiry that emails were sent to Hunter Biden business associates, that money was funneled from place to place. We know that Joe Biden told us he, everything's a lie and he never talked to his son about his overseas business dealings. But then we have all this data about all the conversations that Joe Biden had with Hunter Biden business associates dealing with overseas business deals. So somebody's lying. You would be able to engage in a whole bunch of deflection if Joe Biden had never opened up his senile mouth. And I want to say for the record that I'm not trying to be glib or rude in a conversation about calling Joe Biden senile. I am stating facts. Joe Biden put himself in this position. I am not arguing that the sin of the son is the sin of the father. I am not arguing that because Hunter Biden engaged in inappropriate uh, tax situations, didn't pay his taxes, that's a better way to say it, that somehow Joe Biden did. I am saying that there is no way that CNN is allowed to tell us we shouldn't even be paying attention to this, it doesn't matter, When Joe Biden has been telling us that everything said about his son is a lie, everything said about him and uh, Hunter's business dealings is a lie, when that clearly is not the case. So when we start looking into these things and looking into these charges, and we start seeing how they're connected to his business dealings and overseas business dealings, and realize that Joe Biden played some level of part within them, how is it not connected at that moment? Why are they still trying to sell us on this idea that somehow it doesn't matter? Oh, everybody knew that Hunter Biden had these issues. It's not even a thing. This is old news. No, it's not. The news is the possibility of the connectivity. And the connectivity now comes into question because Joe Biden told us there was none. But we do know there was some. So how much of this did Joe Biden know about? Did he know his son wasn't paying his taxes? Did he know his son was doing all this stuff uh, on the side? Was he just trying to fund the lifestyle because he loves his son so much? Which, by the way, I don't doubt. I don't doubt that he loves his son. And I know that men go to jail because they love their sons so much. This does mean something. Now, there are a couple things to look at here that I think require a, a, a good amount of, of our point of view, of, our, of an angle, of a look. That these tax felonies, these nine federal charges, I, I, I should say, I think three, it, was, it was three felonies and six misdemeanors. Well, there's an argument made that... You charge him with this, but there's no charging him with crimes regarding, for example, uh, failure to register as a foreign agent. 
Were you working for Ukraine? Were you working for China? Did you let the federal government know that this was happening? But you don't charge him with that. You don't charge him with anything regarding foreign influence peddling because that could involve his father. So maybe the tax charge is just salacious. And his father, while connected, since none of the charges are about him, are about dealing specifically with the foreign uh, side of it, Joe gets to skate and Hunter takes the hit. Hunter as fall guy. You've all been playing this out in your heads. Now we're seeing it happen. Someone had to take the fall and it's Hunter. Now, don't get me wrong. Hunter is a screwed up kid. And I want to say for the record um, that somebody needs to be keeping an eye on Hunter Biden. Uh, You're talking about a guy who is a known drug addict, known alcoholic. Um, If you don't think that the possibility exists in a guy like that of doing something to himself, I hope the man has friends. I really do. Don't get me wrong. He has made disgusting, despicable decisions. He has made decisions I would not have made. He has to live with those decisions. I hope he has friends. I really and truly do. But I think people like Sean Davis over at The Federalist are bringing up a very, very important point. Weiss refuses to charge Hunter for foreign influence peddling, registered foreign agent violations, or anything related to the Biden family's Burisma shakedown when Joe Biden was vice president. Weiss pretends to crack down on Hunter while continuing to run interference for Joe Biden and the Biden crime family operation. I think there is something to this in great measure. And I believe that every time Joe Biden says it's all lies and I had nothing to, all those statements, all those statements can now be brought into question because it's not all lies regarding Hunter Biden and his dealings. And it's not all lies uh, or, or, or nonsense when Joe Biden says, I had nothing to do with this. I never had a conversation. He clearly did. But is he getting cover from Weiss, who got appointed a special counsel? Remember, this was the U.S. attorney in Delaware who said, I'm trying to bring charges, but uh, I, I haven't been given the authorization. And Merrick Garland, the attorney general, said, you, of course you have the authorization. And then, oh, it's too late, the statute of limitations. And then pressure was put because you had three IRS whistleblowers say, man, this is not the way you're supposed to run an investigation. So the Attorney General Merrick Garland says, okay, you're special counsel. Even though a special counsel is supposed to come from outside of the government. Not in this case. They take the U.S. Attorney and they make him a special counsel. And now you see the charges, the nonsense charges that came in the beginning. Never mind the gun charge that Hunter has. And now you've got these which still don't deal with the fact that he was working as a foreign agent regarding Burisma and others. I am clear in my statement that first, there's a connection between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden that I think is worthy of investigation. Uh, Number two, 
if Hunter Biden's name was Donald Trump Jr., the press would be screaming where there's smoke, there's fire. And for Dana Bash or anybody at CNN or MSNBC or anywhere else to say, oh, this has nothing to do with Joe Biden, that's nonsense. And Joe Biden's own words prove it's nonsense. I've often said I don't get worked up about investigations. I can't start an investigation. I can't stop an investigation. Uh, So just let them happen. Yeah, let the investigation happen. It needs to happen. And as I've been saying, I'm still there 50-50. Impeachment might come. Impeachment might come. I think Republicans think they're onto something. And I think they're starting to show that to America. I'm Tony Katz. So Disney is going to build out a residential community in North Carolina. And the people there are totally freaked because they assume it's going to become this dystopian nightmare. Didn't they do this already? Like, don't we know that this happened? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Didn't they build Celebration? That was in California, Orlando area. Disney created Celebration, Florida. Well, in North Carolina... They want to create Asteria, A-S-T-E-R-I-A, which sounds way too much like Hysteria, and therefore, I'm out. A story living by Disney community. So this would be in Chatham County, just outside the Triangle, which is Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill. That is... it. it, it look, it's all creepy. They have the Coutinho community in Rancho Mirage, California. So I, they don't mention celebration. So people are are kind of freaked out like these these planned communities and um and it's just it's it's not organic. It seems oh look the corporations are now going to take care of us cradle to grave and and I think I I think that the the healthy distrust of that is really good. For all of Disney's issues, I'm not going to tell them that they can't build homes. They're allowed to be in business. I'm I'm not going to say that. But Disney has proven themselves untrustworthy to a fair amount of Americans for how they push the content forward, for how they portray the pushing of of the content. In in what they've done with films and and, and with TV and in trying to, to move political messaging as opposed to entertain. So they deserve all the heat that they get for that. I don't know if this would be the weirdest kind of community out there. The reason that they're thinking about it is because some people love this. They adore it. There's a whole there's a whole sea of adults out there who live the Disney lifestyle. Oh, Disney is their everything. Yeah, I find it creepy as can be. The whole thing is super duper weird. You're adults. And so if they want to live like that, if there's a market for it, I don't get to tell them no. I would think that that would be a weird thing that I could tell somebody, sorry, uh, you you don't get to build this because I think it's weird. I'm just glad other people think it's weird too. Like, super weird. Like, I'm creeped out weird. Wait till we all live in Tonyville. That place is going to be awesome. This is Tony Katz today.
The Pacers are nuts. I mean, they're playing out of their head. I don't actually think they're this good. But beating the Bucks 128 to 119 after giving up a lead after half, they are that good. The Pacers have let the NBA know that they're here. Tyrese Halliburton is that good, and they're going to take on the Lakers for this NBA Cup in-season tournament insanity, which I'm pretty much convinced is just a gimme to all the sports books out there. Hey, thanks for the advertising. We really appreciate it. This thing is crazy. The whole tournament doesn't make any sense, except it is helping the Pacers show the world, well, really show the league, that they came to play. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075. The fan, he is the voice of sports in Indianapolis. In Indiana, this team is ridiculous. This team is unbelievable. They don't have a defense to save their life, although they did show some interesting things uh, uh, there in, uh, in, in the fourth quarter. Um, explain how they beat the Bucks and what you think it means. Tony, it's funny you mentioned that defense, too. You and I have had this conversation, and I've been ripping on the Pacers in the past week because you're prior to the Boston game because I expected more out of them. And I wondered where they were going to find any level of defense that was going to satisfy and get them wins compared to the offense that they have because their offense basically will show up every single night. But what's been interesting in that Boston game going back to Monday and then last night in Vegas against the Bucs is they, they found it. They have found it. And Shaquille O'Neal had said this on the TNT broadcast going back on Monday. He said, you don't have to be, if you have that level of offense, a great stopping defensive team. But if you can get create some stops late in games, that can be the difference. And that can be something the Pacers, I think, can do now. They're not going to be overall throughout a game very good defensively. But if you can get some late-game situation stops – with that offense they have that keeps on coming, then you have something there. And, Tony, they've shown us that they can do that. And, see, there's no going back now. Now I've had expectations, and people wonder why I had higher-level expectations, because I have believed in this team. And now they have shown us against elite-level Eastern Conference teams back-to-back that that defense late in games can show up and can be a part of their repertoire. They've shown us that now. So we've seen it. That's in the books. That's going to be my expectation to go along with the expectation we already had previously with this team being one of the, if not the best uh, offensive team in the NBA. So they've shown me that against two elite-level teams. That's my expectation moving forward. And that is one of the more profound things that the Pacers can embrace that comes out of this end-season first-ever NBA tournament is the fact that I think they found themselves something, especially in a late-game defensive situations we have seen the past two games. But if you take a look at that game, they allowed more than 40 points in the third quarter. They allowed the Bucs to take a lead in the first quarter. So they have shown in two quarters, the second and the fourth, they can play some defense. So half a game, they can play some D. They haven't shown it in a full game yet, have they? (laughs) No, and I don't know if they're going to. I don't know if you can count on that. Give me a great example. Last time they played the Bucs, they won, but Giannis scored 54 points. Like, I thought that was a great defensive effort last night, given the fact he only scored 37. Here's the other thing. If you look at the final eight minutes, I don't know if Giannis touched the basketball more than twice. 
And I know we all felt that he was getting every call and going into the free throw line, especially in that third quarter. But from the eight minute mark to the end of the game, he was fairly non-existent. I don't know if you give the credit to the Pacer offense or take it away from Adrian Griffin, the head coach of the Bucks, for not making sure he just basically bumps into somebody and goes to the free throw line. But that was significant. He scored 54 the last time they met, 37 in this game. And to me, I don't know if you want to call that holding him down at all. That's still a big number. But considering the circumstances, that was enough to get the job done yesterday in Vegas for the Pacers. Talking to JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. Heard on 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Um, I was watching the game, and there were a couple of moments where you're like, oh, yeah, that's why this team still has TJ McConnell. Um, yep. I, I, I like his play. I, by the way, I thought Obi Toppin was uh, – the, the layup was just a stunning, stunning display. That's some poster kind of stuff right there. But TJ McConnell, this bench, have they have people settled into their roles? Do you think, well, this is what I do, this is how I do it, this is why it's important, and, and Rick Carlisle has got them buying into the strategy? Hey, Tony, they definitely buy into one another, but this has been the role of TJ McConnell forever. And let's go back, and you and I had this conversation, and you agreed with me. I had to battle at the beginning of the season and the off season a bunch of these draft capital dorks, um, draft leverage nerds wanting to see TJ traded someplace else because you know these young players have to play and that's going to stunt their growth and you don't really need what TJ brings. He can't shoot the three. And I said, hey, you better be careful, nerds, what you wish for here because this guy brings a skill set off the bench. Oh, what skill set is that? He can't shoot the three and he's an undersized guard and he can't guard. No, the skill set is energy. And you see that every single time he steps on the floor with that second unit. And you tell me, Tony, yourself from what you watched yesterday, how valuable that energy was. And that's what a lot of people did not see around here. He is, to me, as valuable as anybody off that bench because he brings you the energy skill set every single time. And that has been evident in the past two and was especially evident in that win yesterday in Vegas over Milwaukee. He's always needed to be a part of this team, and you better be glad that the Pacers front office was smart and didn't ship him off to some other team out west for a 2029 second-round draft pick because his value to this team and for this team is right here and right now. They take on the Lakers for this NBA Cup. Uh, They take them on Saturday night. I think it's a 9 p.m. Eastern uh, tip. Um, never mind that I want them to beat the Lakers because I always want LeBron to lose. Let me give you a, a, a downside thought process. Yeah, They are flying ridiculously high, are the Pacers. They've gotten further in this, in this in-season tournament than anybody thought they have made a real name for themselves. Now they get to this championship, win or lose. How does Rick Carlisle, the coach of the Pacers, keep their energy up for what matters in the season to get to the playoffs, to get to a championship, because this in-season tournament stuff, 
could very well be just a giant distraction that sucks all their energy and you could see them go on a multiple game losing streak because they just don't have it in them because they wasted it all here. How, how worried are you about that possibility? No, uh, I mean, that certainly could happen, but here's what I'm looking at, and I mentioned this at the outset. This is what I expect out of them right now. It is, and I think, I think certainly it will be much easier for them to get dialed in, whether it's you know the half a million dollars they'll get uh, each for the win or whatever. It's going to be easy to dial them in, considering the amount of national love they have received compared to the national love that has never come their direction or certainly hasn't been here in the past five-plus years. I'll be highly disappointed if they revert back to games like at home against Chicago or Charlotte or looking like they did at home against Orlando, or looking like they did against Portland a couple of Mondays ago, I'll be highly disappointed. You have to be on guard for that. I just think Saturday night is different. And this has been good for everybody. This has been good for a national landscape standpoint, for the Pacers, their organization, their players, Tyrese Halliburton especially, and the fan base here, Tony. Because if you go back to Monday night, the best home court we have seen so far in the NBA this year was that at Gambridge Fieldhouse. And it was a standalone game, the only NBA game that was on at that moment. And everybody that covers the NBA, NBA fans saw that. And that is good for everybody. So it will be highly disappointing if we see them. Let's say, for example, you went on Saturday and then you go back to doing your normal thing in December and drop some of those disappointing games. They've set the bar, I think, not just for me where I had them anyway, but for now everybody much higher because of this. And that is a part of being a professional. Now you are held to that accountability. You are held to playing at that level, and hopefully they can do that. Because if they don't, I, we all should be disappointed from that fact. You expect them to be able to uh, blow past the uh, Lakers? Um, I don't think it's going to be that that easy at all. LeBron James, you know, like him or loathe him, as you just mentioned. I mean, he was vintage LeBron James. It's incredible how long he's he's been and able to play at that level. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. So that's going to be tough. I mean, Anthony Davis is always going to be tough. But, you know, the Pacers are as well. I mean, the Pacers are going to be a tough cover for them. And, and I don't know if this is going to be an edge, Tony. The Lakers have much less of a reason to show out. They, they're in that environment. Right, they're on national TV on ABC, you know, Saturday nights anyway. They're on national TV every night anyway. So I, I kind of look for the Pacers to be more inspired for that because this is new. It is unusual to them. It's exciting to them. So they're going to have a level of fired up that I don't know if the Lakers, because they've been there and done that, will be able to reach. So at the start of that game. I think that's going to be an edge that the Pacers will have, and hopefully they're able to sustain that edge throughout the game. But I, I think that's something this tournament brings. For the Pacers, this is something that you want to embrace. You want everybody to see. And for the Lakers, it's kind of yawn, ho-hum. We do this all the time anyway. It really doesn't matter. So to me, that is a big-time edge. Bring it over to the NFL. The Colts, the Bengals, uh, this Sunday, Cincinnati. Uh, talk to me about how this game plays out. Dangerous. It is really dangerous, Tony. This is the best skill position player set we have seen this Colts defense face. And I know that it's without Joe Burrow. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, we all kind of laughed and thought, all right, Jake Browning's coming in now. It's going to be an easy road win. It is not. You have seen the line kind of move toward the Bengals for a reason. You watch them on Monday night do. And I, I wanted, honestly, Jacksonville to win that game. 
because I didn't want the Bengals to feel like they had any chance, any opportunity. I wanted them to feel down because they're on the outside looking in with not a lot of hope for the postseason. They built hope on Monday night with that win over Jacksonville, and I think that's going to be an inspiration for them coming up on Sunday. I think this is going to be one of the more difficult games for the Colts this season because the Bengals can hit you from a spot in which, even with a backup quarterback, from which is your your Achilles heel, and that is your secondary. So you have to have upfront help. You've got to have pressure and pressure into the decision-making of a guy that hasn't done it that much but looked really good on Monday night against Jacksonville in Jake Browning. Pressure on him to take the pressure off your secondary. If you don't, this guy can pick you, and his wide receivers can run you right out of the stadium. And that's what concerns me the most. This is going to be an incredibly difficult Sunday. You talk about uh, the difficulties based on who the our defense, Colts defense, has to match up with on their offense. Yeah. Is our offense up to playing a consistent four quarters? Good question. And, again, we're at this point where we always talk about Minshew. And when I brought up Shane Shue, Shane Shue has been good at times, and then there have been a couple of times where Shane Shue hadn't looked so good. And I'm talking about a combination of Shane Steichen's play calling for his backup quarterback. And there are times when he puts him in exceptionally good places for positive outcomes. And we have seen a couple of different times where he's been placed in not-so-good situations. So Shane Shue's got to stay away, both of them, from putting Gardner Minshew in bad spots. And, again, the Bengals can bring a pass rush at you, so you have to deal with that. But here's something worth watching, and this is why I wish Jonathan Taylor, among other reasons, was active and a part of this. The Bengals against the run, not good. And hopefully Zach Moss can step up because it was a struggle last week. No question about that. Hopefully he can step up. They're going to need that aspect of their offense. And without Jonathan Taylor, I think that's going to become more magnified on Sunday. So being able to run the football against the Bengals defense, which is not very good at stopping it, is one thing. And then staying away from mistakes, whether it's from a play caller or the signal caller on the field, that is paramount in making sure that the Colts come home with what I believe to be is going to be a close victory, but I don't have a lot of confidence in it. See, I, 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 I think that they believe that they're actually better. I think that they're the attitudinally. I, I think okay. they, they, they think this, and I don't think the, the, the Bengals, do you think the Bengals, uh, defensive line, uh, those four, those five match up to where the Tennessee Titans were? Because yes, they stopped Zach Moss from running. The Bengals can stop them in the same way? No, I don't think they can. That's where they're going to struggle. Now, they can get after the quarterback. They have guys to get after the quarterback. But, no, that's where you have to take advantage. And this would be a great week to have both your running backs. Or certainly a a great week to have – any week's a great week to have Jonathan Taylor. But this is going to be magnified this weekend in Cincinnati because Cincinnati, Tony, does not play the run defensively well. So that's why I'm hoping Zach Moss – is going to have a much better game, much better opportunity to run it and be productive in running it against Cincinnati because, to me, that's going to be necessary. Cincinnati can get after the quarterback, and we've seen that. That's problematic for Gardner Minshew. It has been. But at the same time, being able to run the football is what's going to balance this out, and I think it is going to lead them offensively to that chance to win this game. If they're unable to run it, as we saw last week against Tennessee, highly problematic Sunday, Tony. JMV, he is the voice of sports 
in Indiana, 93.5, The Fan out of Indianapolis. I appreciate you as always. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Apple now looking to make a quarter, 25% of iPhones in India. This is good news. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Now, it's still Foxconn, so you're still dealing with a Chinese company. Or no, Foxconn's Taiwan. Oh, my mistake. Foxconn's Taiwan. Oh, that's right. Why oh, forget that. Well, this is even better news. Moving things out of China hurts China economically, and hurting China economically is good for all of us. Now, India has got to stop buying oil from Russia. That's a real issue. But India and the United States building more alliances in this way. They're going to build more than 50 million iPhones in India annually within the next two to three years. This is good. Hurt China economically, they're already suffering with so many economic issues. It will help further destabilize and put an end to the possibilities of Xi Jinping uh, amassing more power. Don't get me wrong, they're still going to try. But you take away the money, you create more internal strife. And the more internal strife means a better opportunity to get rid of this communist dictatorship once and for all. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm just hoping it happens. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Join. Be a a subscriber. Would love to have you there. This is Tony Katz today. Go to TonyKatz.com right now.